1: guys and welcome to the moms and murder podcast a true crime podcast featuring myself Mandy and my dear friend Melissa. Hi Melissa. Hi Mandy, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing pretty good things. It's a holiday weekend. It is a holiday weekend, a long weekend. It is. I
0: mean days are long for me anyway. Yeah, um
1: exactly. <laughs> So this is one way uh,
0: to celebrate it. It was so funny. I don't know if you saw this week. I posted on Instagram some post that was uh, like about uh, time and how you don't understand that how time works after being alive for three decades and stuff. somebody (laughs) tagged us in it. And I was like, that's 100%. That's our entire introduction every week. It's just, I can't believe it's insert month. I can't believe it's this close to this holiday. That's like our whole, our go-to. Yeah. We're nothing if not not original.
1: (laughs) For sure. For sure. Yeah, I know. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I was so excited. My kids were finally in school. Things were going great. And then, of course, boom, the second week we were in school, we promptly all got sick. So my kids, they have been out of school for the tail end of this last week. They were out of school and now they're all like so excited. They're like, oh, we have a three day weekend. I'm like, what are you talking about? You've been home forever. Like, (laughs) I'm so ready for you to go back to school. Like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Looking forward to I guess, the extra day this weekend. I feel like it's just a continuation of an already very, very long week that I've had. (laughs) Right. It's just another day for people to ask you, what are we doing today? (laughs)
0: Exactly. And expecting you to have like a whole printout of a list of new ideas that they didn't (laughs) come up with themselves. I totally get it. Yeah, we've all been sick here for Going on two weeks, and uh, Mandy and I like it's funny because neither one of us we haven't been around each other, and we're both sick, which just tells yeah. you it's the beginning of the it's going year around. And just, yeah, ugh, yeah, it's just the crud um, that just keeps circling in our house. So and hopefully we're on the mend. Goes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So if we sound a little different this week, uh, we waited to the last possible minute to record in hopes that our voices were, you know, Improving. as good as they can be. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, this is as good as they can be. So. Uh, You're welcome. Number one. and Number two, we're sorry.
1: (laughs) Yeah. All right. So we'll get right into it. If you thought last week's story was a little confusing, I know we joked around in the beginning about how the names were very similar. Then hang on to your seats because we are going to outdo ourselves this week. I don't think it's as confusing because the names aren't really as similar. It's just a lot of people because the story involves an entire family. The concept of cults and just brainwashing in general is so fascinating to me, and I know a lot of other people, it's very big, cults in general are a very big topic in the true crime world, and when we hear about stories of people that fall victim to psychological manipulation tactics, it really is easy, you know, to sit back and say, like, how could they, you know, fall for that? How could they be so naive and that you would never let that kind of thing happen to you? But yet, there are numerous stories involving very intelligent and very powerful people being taken advantage of or being led to do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do. The story this week was huge news across the pond in Europe and specifically in France in the early 2000s, and it's no wonder why. It's a story about how a very skilled con man single-handedly took control over an entire wealthy family and manipulated them out of all their assets and wealth. Because there are so many people involved in this, like I said, literally an entire family of French aristocrats, the only logical way to get into this is to just dive right into it and introduce our main guy before we talk about how he pulled off this massive con – As you can imagine, one doesn't just come out of nowhere and brainwash a whole family without having a background in conning. And our subject today definitely had a background.
0: Before I get started, I would like to go ahead and apologize because there are a lot of French names in this story. Basically, only French names in this story. (laughs) And (laughs) I don't know if you remember, I am from the North Florida, South Georgia region, and uh, French isn't really something we're known for. So um, we are both gonna do our best, and we've listened to translations of these. And if you've ever listened to a word and tried to figure out the translation, they normally give you like three different versions. So imagine we're getting
1: one (laughs) of them right.
0: But just know we know we're going to butcher this. So thanks for playing along. So the first guy we're talking about today is Thierry Tilly. He was born in France to a retired army driver and a licensed midwife. We actually don't know too much about his early childhood, but it appears that he really discovered the art of lying relatively early on. He used to embellish stories about his father being a commando diver and his mother being a skating champion. Early in life, he earned a reputation of being a gifted liar. His lies were actually so elaborate, it's really hard to imagine how he was even able to think them up. He claimed that he was a descendant of the Austro-Hungarian Habsburg nobility and that his communist grandmother held salons or meetings with former socialist president Francois Mitterand. Perhaps it was his ability to spin the truth that led him to an interest in law school, which he started, but he never completed. Eventually, Theory got married and had two kids, but he wasn't exactly an honest family man. While living in France, Theory was involved in numerous fishy and dubious business ventures. Two of Theory's former associates said that he fleeced them, and that's another fun word for our vocabulary lessons with Mandy and Melissa segment. To flee someone is to strip them of money or property by fraud or extortion. One associate was Hughes Gossett. Hughes was an heir to the Gossett Champagne House, which is evidently the oldest wine house in Champagne, France, which, as the name suggests, is an area that's known for its sparkling white wine production, aka Champagne, obviously. Now, Mandy put the word obviously here, but I have to be honest, this is going to be the dumbest thing I've ever said. So. Oh, you I'm didn't know that it
1: came from Champagne?
0: Me either. No, 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 no. Okay, well, now we're both having revelations.
1: Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't
0: know, and I don't know if I even want to say this. I didn't know champagne was technically white wine. Why didn't I know that? What? I literally thought
1: it was his own thing. Well, there are champagne, there are different grapes that are used. Don't to try make to get champagne, champagne, me out of this. But yes, it is technically just white wine with bubbles. <laughs> Carbonated white wine. Okay. I didn't know that it was named after a place in France. So that tells you how much both of us know about wine. Wow, we
0: are really, (laughs) (laughs) really
1: doing well here. I like that we didn't know opposite
0: things. Uh, This is really, this is going well. So, (laughs) Hughes, though, introduced Theory to another man named Vincent David. Vincent was an attorney who said that Theory hired him for this legal work on a real estate development, but Theory never actually paid him. When Vincent tried to get Theory to pay him, Theory said he would give him partial ownership in this real estate development deal instead, but. He never did that either. But it was this connection with Vincent that eventually led theory to his biggest target yet, the De Adrines family.
1: So who are these people, these prestigious De Adrines, you might be asking yourself? Well, first of all, there's a lot of them. So before we introduce any of them individually, let's just talk about who they are as a family and in the eyes of the French. The Desverdines family are Protestant nobles who have roots dating back nearly three centuries, making them one of France's oldest aristocratic families, according to the Sydney Morning Herald. This was a family of intelligence, grace, culture, and, of course, wealth. They were extremely prominent members of their community who lived a very privileged and beyond comfortable life. The main family home was a manor house called Chateau Martel. This house is huge. It's a mansion with turrets, which are towers that are built into the sides of a corner of a house. So if you think of like a Rapunzel type of tower, not that high, but, you know, same idea, basically, like a classic right. princess fairy tale, you know, thing on the side of a house. That's what they had on the side of their mansion. So Chateau Martel was located near a very fairy tale-esque medieval village in southwestern France called Montflanquin. The entire De family gathered often at the manor. They really valued closeness within their family, and they had a tight familial bond with each other. In 1995, the Vedrines matriarch, a woman named Guilla her husband died, and the question came up over who was going to inherit the chateau. Their oldest son, Felipe, thought that he should be the one to inherit the chateau, and although he would have been eligible, he really didn't make enough money to maintain the property. So because of this, his younger brother, Charles Henry, inherited the manor happily. He was thrilled to be the man of the house, so to speak. And this was much to Felipe's dismay. He really felt some type of way about this whole thing. You know, he was the oldest brother and his right. little brother was almost gloating about the fact that he was now in charge of the chateau. So this sense of wounded pride over losing ownership of the manor would eventually become part of the way that theory was able to con this family. Before we go any further, we're going to do a quick rundown of the family tree that's involved in the rest of the story, and we'll do our best to remind you of who everybody is when they come up again. So as we said before, the family matriarch was Guillemette. She had three children, Felipe, Charles Henry, and Guislaine. At the time of the story, Felipe was separated from his wife and had been for years, He was working as an executive with Shell Oil, and it's really hard to believe that he didn't have the funds to take care of the mansion with a job like that. It sounds like a pretty good career for him. So at the time, he was dating a woman named Bridget. Charles Henry was a successful and popular gynecologist and also a local politician. I don't know how you become a popular gynecologist – I, <laughs> I
0: I don't think I want to know how you become a popular yeah. gynecologist. <laughs> he,
1: he was very well known in the area. Let's just say that. <laughs> so Charles Henry was married to a woman named Christine, and together they had three children, Guillaume, Amari, and Diana. Ghislaine was the director of La Femme Secretaire, which was a secretarial school in Paris. She was married to a man named Jean Marchand, who was a business journalist, and they had two children named Guillaumette. She was named after the family matriarch and Francois. Of course, the whole David Dreen's family extends beyond the 11 people that I just mentioned, but it's these family members who all fell victim to Theory's spell, so those are the only ones we're going to get into so we don't confuse the story. Yeah, thank goodness. You don't want us (laughs) to add any more names to this.
0: So back to how Theory first came into contact with the David Dreen's. Lane was looking for help in 1999 to update her secretarial school's computer system. Her friend, Vincent David, recommended someone that he knew who was good with computers, and that person was Theory Telly. It was later learned that this was basically a setup from the beginning. Vincent wanted Giseline to hire Theory because Theory owed him money. We talked about that in the beginning. Um, but evidently he didn't have any money to pay Vincent. So Vincent's kind of thinking like, hey, Gisleine is a wealthy person. If she hires Theory, uh, then he has the money to turn around and pay Vincent. So it smart. never
1: works out that way. But yes, I see where he's going with this. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, absolutely not. I'm like, great idea.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the two are introduced and Lane was impressed with Theory, not just with his computer skills, but as a person. This is one of my favorite things somebody can be impressed with you as. She thought he was clean cut and competent. I
1: mean, hey, that can be hard to
0: find. <laughs> <laughs> Please say more about me than that in my life. So it's, <laughs> at some point, Lane starts to get closer with Theory and she actually starts confiding in him and really sharing private things about her family that were really probably none of Theory's business. She tells him about how there's this tension in the family over her younger brother inheriting the chateau instead of the older one. She shared basically anything and everything about the members of her family to the point that by the time Theory meets any of the other family members, it's kind of like he already knew them. The more Ghislaine shared, the more Theory started to see opportunities to take advantage of them. So by the end of 1999, Theory had already managed to secure a job as the highest paid employee at Ghislaine's school, and he was her most trusted advisor. Ghislaine's husband, Jean, started to have suspicions that something was not right with Theory and the relationship that he had with his wife. Originally, he thought that Ghislaine and Theory were having an affair, which was an accusation that Ghislaine adamantly denied. Later on, Jean met Theory himself, and he was able to get to know him better. After that, he didn't believe that the two were having an affair, but he did believe that theory was up to no good. Jean said that theory had a, quote, raspy voice, a pasty face, and an unexpectedly strong handshake, a painful grip that felt less like a friendly greeting than an assertion of power, end quote. In other words, this guy really just got bad vibes from him. And regardless of whether or not there ever was an affair, Jean could clearly see that Theory had some kind of power over Ghislaine. You know, out of nowhere, all of a sudden. He referred to Theory as Ghislaine's guru. In the summer of 2000, Ghislaine was organizing a music festival, and she invited Theory to attend, as well as inviting him over to dinner at the Chateau with the rest of her family. By this point, Ghislaine is convinced that Theory is this wonderful man who is more than capable and very eager to help out her family. Giesling was very respected and highly looked upon by the other David Dreens, so whenever she was willing to accept Theory into her tight-knit circle, everyone else really accepted him too. It didn't hurt that Theory had plenty of stories about all of his wealthy and influential friends. It was obviously a lie, but it was an appealing lie to the wealthy David Dreams. Once he had them believing he was someone truly special, he systematically infiltrated their entire lives, literally their entire lives. And we will get more into what that means exactly after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. We've talked on our show several times about the perfect temperature for sleeping, and while everyone has their perfect number, sometimes that just isn't enough. Luckily, I now have Ember Wave. Ember Wave is the first wristband that can help you feel cooler or warmer right away. With just a touch of a button, I can get that feeling of the cool side of the pillow right on my wrist, helping me
1: achieve thermal comfort. Even though it's fall weather in other parts of the country, Florida has not gotten that memo. Sometimes just going from my house to my car and waiting for my car to cool down can make me sweat. But when I'm wearing my Ember Wave wristband, I can just push a button and immediately have this cooling sensation. Ember Wave's cooling or heating sensations are sort of an inside job. It works with your brain and body to make you feel more comfortable in a matter of minutes.
0: While the whole thing is very scientific and I can't pretend to be your own personal Bill Nye, think of Ember Wave as either an ice cold glass of water on a hot day or a hot cup of coffee on a winter's day. That's the magic of Ember Wave, thermal comfort. And if you've ever had the feeling of waking up from a hot flash, trust me, Ember Wave is for you.
1: You can try Ember Wave risk-free for 30 days. Ember is offering our listeners $50 off. To get this limited time offer, go to embrwave.com moms, and the discount will automatically be applied at checkout. That's $50 off your order today. Go to embrwave.com moms. The other day, I showed up to an appointment half an hour early. I mean, I meant to
0: be a few minutes early, but even for me, that was really early but all that meant for me was that I had a few extra minutes to listen to a podcast and play a few rounds of Best Fiends. Two years later and Best Fiends is still my favorite way to escape from it all for just a few minutes at a time.
1: Best Fiends is the most fun matching puzzle game that's out there. Plus, it's free to download, so there's no reason not to give it a try to find out exactly why we love it so much. And there's always something new brewing on Best Fiends. There's new events, challenges, plus new characters and worlds to unlock as you play. I am definitely a Best Fiends enthusiast.
0: There's just something so satisfying about taking on a new level and trying out different strategies and swapping out various fiends and then beating the level that can really give me the win I need for the day. I'm on level 1,884, which you know that if you found me on Best Fiends with my friend code 254-2573 three. Add me on the game so we can keep up with each other and you'll see
1: why I am a hardcore Best
0: Fiends champion.
1: Download the five-star rated puzzle game Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Now back to the episode. Okay, so before the break, we had just introduced our guy Theory Tilly and we were talking about how he had been introduced to the David Dreams family, this very wealthy, aristocratic French family. And the more that he was learning about this family, the more opportunities he was seeing to take advantage of them, which was something that he had done to other people that he had been associated with in his past. So when Theory was first introduced to the David Dreams family, he took his time earning their trust by making himself virtually indispensable to them. He always had an answer for every issue they had, and he really played to their egos. For example, he would tell Felipe that he was better than just being an executive for Shell Oil. He should be the president of the company. He would just really pump them up in this way. A short time later, the David Reans ran into a bit of legal trouble with another property that they owned, and since Ghislaine trusted theory with her life, she suggested that the family let him help with this problem also. Theory ended up saving the property, and they kept the family out of court, but this whole ordeal made the family trust him even more, and of course, Theory was just chomping at the bit to take advantage of it. He offered himself up as some kind of manager to their affairs, and he said that he would look after their properties, their investments, and trusts, and he could even help them turn money into more money by getting 10% returns each month on their investments. Even though the family already was using professionals to manage these things, they really were convinced that Theory could do it better and that he was smarter and more strategic, so the family agreed to take him up on his offers to help them. You have to understand that this very wealthy family, they want to stay very wealthy, so the idea that Theory had all these connections in high places and this knowledge on various money-making schemes, that was really attractive to them. He could potentially be very beneficial to them if it wasn't for the fact that he was a con artist. After spending some time grooming each member of the family and getting them all under his spell, Theory started doing things to make the family paranoid and anxious. Their houses were broken into, their cars were stolen, Charles Henry's office was flooded. These are just a few examples of the things that Theory secretly had his hand in. Yeah, the family had no idea. So once the various members of the family were all on edge and scared – Theory then took the opportunity to tell them another crazy lie to save the day. He said that he was actually a spy who belonged to a secret service above all others, and he said that this secret service could fix any problem and was even in direct contact with the United States president. At this point, Theory says he was actually sent there to save the David Reins family and that they were in real danger. And this is where, in my opinion, the story gets a little cuckoo bananas. Right. Theory told the David Greens that they were lost descendants of an ancient order, which was an offshoot of the Knights Templar. This order had a French name that I will not try and say, but it Come meant on, Mandy. <laughs> yeah, it, in translation, it meant balance of the world. And this was allegedly um, an organization that could be only activated when the world was facing an extreme evil. So I don't know really what that would entail, but I guess according to theory, the time was now. The David Dreams right. family needed to be activated or this purpose. So Theory claimed that the previous generations of the David Dreen's family had been called to act for the forces of good against the forces of evil. As if this really didn't sound just completely out there enough, Theory also convinced the family that the main evils of the world were Freemasons, pedophiles, okay, and Jewish people and that the family was being spied on by these entities and they really needed protection. It was these evils of the world that Theory said were behind all of these car thefts and burglaries within the family recently. So after scaring the living daylights out of most of the family who heard this, Theory was once again there to offer a solution. He said he could protect them from such evils as long as they did everything exactly as he told them to do. Every single person in the family, except for Ghislaine's husband, Jean, believed Theory and they went along with this. Vanity Fair later said that it wasn't really that far-fetched for this family to be scared of Freemasons, though, because they are believed by many to be major players in Parisian real estate. Their influence is believed to be very strong in southwestern France, so for them, I guess this makes sense. Again, Theory took advantage of it and told the family that the Freemasons wanted to buy the building that Lane school was located in, and they wanted it so badly that the David Dreams family might be at risk
0: wow, 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 wow. Yeah. So it wasn't long before Theory had his claws fully embedded into the David Greens family. And over the next nine years, he worked to carefully build them of their fortune. I'd like to make one quick reminder. This is like early 2000s. When I first started reading about the story, I kept imagining this being like, 70 years ago. Me too, fact, like, like Victorian was, times. Yes, yeah. <laughs> or yeah, <laughs> or even more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the fact that this is early 2000s is, makes this story even more fascinating to me. Like, this was not that long ago that this took place. During that time, he managed to get them to empty their bank accounts, sell their things and their properties, and then give the proceeds to Theory to deposit into an organization that was called the Blue Light Foundation, which Theory said funded the David protectors. No one in the family really questioned this at all. As it turned out, the Blue Light Foundation was a real foundation, but it wasn't actually active. It was incorporated in Quebec in 1999 and used to have a physical office in London, but now it was really just an empty shell. It didn't really matter anyway because that's not where the money went. It went into various accounts, many of which were used to fund Theory's lavish lifestyle. At the height of this con, he owned an apartment in London and one in New York City. He bought a BMW 6 Series and a Mini Cooper to have in London, a BMW X3 SUV in Switzerland, And he leased a Ford Fusion in France, which we've learned (laughs) that Ford Fusions are very nice vehicles and we're so sorry. I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for pointing that out to us. So by the spring of 2001, Ghislaine was really starting to lose it. She was convinced that she was seeing Freemasons everywhere and thought that her neighbors, people she'd known for years, were actually enemies out to get her. She also started warning coworkers at the school to watch out for the Freemasons, In March of 2001, Ghislaine stopped paying the majority of the school staff, but they actually kept working until the end of the term. The school's head teacher, Martine Gordon, said that when theory showed up and started working there, a lot of the money started to go missing from the school's accounts, and even the bills at the school stopped getting paid. Ghislaine had lost a significant amount of weight, and she actually hid her face behind sunglasses that she wore all the time. At one point, Theory actually moved into a room on the ground floor of the school and arranged to have 24 hour security patrol the grounds with a Rottweiler. Oh my gosh. I guess that's where some of the money's going, right? He said these are protectors and that's right. something, but my goodness. So in the summer of 2001, Ghislaine and Jean lived in their summer house in Montflanquin. While there, Jean tried to warn Ghislaine that Theory was up to something and that he was lying to her. So this is. Her husband is saying, you're being lied to, you're being manipulated. And he even called Theory a pervert and a charlatan. But Ghislaine felt that speaking out against Theory would have catastrophic consequences, and she just refused to believe her husband.
1: At the end of the summer in early September, Ghislaine left for Paris for the school year while Jean stayed behind in their summer home. Four days after she left, she actually returned to the summer house, dressed up like she was going to a cocktail party, and she had a handful of dried flowers with her, which she proceeded to throw in her husband, Jean's face, and said that she had cut the flowers from their garden at the Paris home and that they were a sign of Jean's evil network. What? Okay. So she started (laughs) screaming hysterically and saying things about being a weak outsider with no soul. Ghislaine's brothers were there to witness this, and they told Jean to pack his things and get on a train to go to Paris. By the time he arrived there, Ghislaine had emptied their bank accounts, and he didn't hear from her or their kids again for the next nine years. Oh my gosh. Yes, so over the next nine years, of course, Theory still has the family under his spell. Jean attempted to file charges against Theory, but officers said that they couldn't really do anything since nobody else in the family had made any complaints. Jean eventually took matters into his own hands and hired an attorney named Danielle Pickerton, who specialized in cults. They worked together for years. He later learned that the whole stunt with the dead flowers was something that Theory had actually put Ghislaine up to. He told her that she had to divorce Jean and that she had to throw flowers at him and give him half an hour to pack. Once Ghislaine had banished her husband, she also shut down the secretarial school and moved into the top floor of where the school used to be. At this point, the building had no running water or electricity, but at some point, despite this, Ghislaine's brother Felipe and his girlfriend Bridget also moved into the building as well. Keep in mind, these are people who literally are billionaires who have come from living in a mansion and they're totally fine going and living in this abandoned building with no running water and no electricity. It just blows my mind that they were like, okay, this makes sense and we should do this.
0: It talks about his control though. Like to think like, okay, we do have all this money and we can't afford these things. And to do this, it just says that they were scared out of their minds. You yeah, know, for sure. Had so much control.
1: For sure. So in the meantime though, while they are living like this, Theory had gone off to live in London with his wife and his two kids, of course, in his beautiful – you know, apartment that he's paying for with the David Green's money. So after Felipe and his girlfriend moved into the school, his ex, the wife that he'd been separated from, started to become concerned about this new strange behavior that the family was exhibiting. And she was specifically worried that whatever kind of hold theory had on them would threaten the assets that she shared with Felipe. Obviously, a very um, legitimate concern of hers. Yeah. So she filed for divorce, and her lawyer asked the court to monitor Felipe's finances. The court ended up finding what they called a pattern of suspicious transfers, and this led to an audit of Theory and the whole David Reins family. The audit revealed that many of these unusual transfers were made to a holding company called Preswell Enterprises Limited, which was listed as being owned by Theory and several members of the David Reins family. Some of the money that was taken from Felipe's account was used to build an apartment complex in the Alps, but the rest of the money was and is unaccounted for.
0: Wow. In the fall of 2001, all 11 of the family members we mentioned in the beginning of the episode slowly started moving into the chateau. This was mostly due to theory telling them all that if they didn't isolate themselves, they wouldn't be safe from the evils of the world. So the family began to distance themselves from all of society – Ghislaine's daughter, Guillemette, left her husband, who she had literally just married a few months before, she married him earlier that fall, and gives her money to Theory. Out of nowhere, Charles Henry up and leaves his medical practice, and he and his wife Christine sell their house and beach apartment and handed the proceeds directly over to Theory. Theory was somehow the only person that this family trusted, and they gave him control of everything. The relationship between Theory and the family members was so intense and just unbelievable. Theory would call, fax, and email them an average of 40 times a day from his place in London, and he would demand to know literally everything that they were doing at the chateau. Theory had control over every single aspect of their lives, right down to what they ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He kept them so scared by continually feeding them these lies about being in danger of the Freemasons. At some point, theory had the family take this madness a step further and told them to shutter all the windows and get rid of all the, what he called timepieces, including calendars. So watches, clocks, calendars, everything. And they're fine with this because theory had convinced them that the normal rules of the world, including time, really just did not apply to them. This was much bigger than they were. Yeah, in reality, of course, it's just another way for theory to disorient them. The family's mail was intercepted, and they quit paying their taxes. Theory really succeeded at his goal. He had completely cut the David Rean's family off from the rest of the world, and they were eating out of the palm of his hand. So for years, these 11 family members stayed locked inside this mansion, terrified that they were going to be under siege at any moment and that the Freemasons were coming for them.
1: In 2003, this behavior was noticed and reported on for the first time in a regional newspaper called Sudquest. The paper called the family the Récluses de Montflanquin. When this story broke, Theory told the family that they were under very close scrutiny, and he convinced them that the chateau was wiretapped and every movement they made was being watched. Later in 2003, after a couple of years of not paying their taxes, the French equivalent of the IRS came and seized all the furnishings from within the manor and auction them off, leaving the family with nothing but an empty shell of the luxury home. With nowhere else to go, the whole family moved into Felipe's house that he owned a few minutes away from the chateau. A short time later, theories started having suspicions that Charles Henry and Christine's son, Amari, was having, quote, pedophiliac tendencies, so he separated Amari from the rest of the family. In July of 2004, he made Amari go to London and watch over the Blue Light Foundation's office. He was to be there night and day, only eating one meal per day. He had to sleep on the floor and wash himself in a communal sink with no hot water. Amari lived in this office until April of 2005, until he was finally kicked out due to non-payment because Theory had not been paying the rent on the building. How is he not paying the rent
0: on anything? It should be very easy for him to be paying the rent on everything.
1: Yeah, at this point, Amari had no choice but to go back to the Chateau and really shack up with the rest of his family. But the whole time that he was gone in London, living in shambles, his family had no idea that that's what he was doing. They thought he was away at school in England. So by 2005, Thierry and his wife and their two young children and his wife's teenage daughter, as well as Guillaume Reans, who was the son of Charles Henry and Christine, they were all living together in Oxford, England. And I'm not really sure how the David Dreen's daughter ended up living there with Theory and his wife and stepdaughter, but she was there. So they were all living in a rental property, which was the first of many that they would live in with, once again, out ever paying rent. By 2006, they were actually already on their third rental property. It was a house they were living in that was owned by a man named Andrew Scully. And this rental property was actually attached to Andrew's own house, and he became friends with all of them. At some point, Theory decided that he liked it there and he wanted some of the other family members to come and live in Oxford as well. So they started moving there slowly and renting property also from Andrew Scully, who had apparently a lot more properties for rent. Charles Henry and Christine lived across the street. Their kids, Diane and Amari, as well as Ghislaine's son, Francois, also went to live in Oxford and rented some of Andrew's smaller properties that were around the city. Diane got a job at an ice cream parlor, and she waited tables, while Francois took a job at Burger King sweeping the floors. Christine worked in a shop kitchen. Charles Henry and Amari worked for Oxford Garden Company, and since Guillaume was the only one of his generation with a university degree, he worked at an archaeological survey company. Theory forced all of them to hand over 90% of their wages to him. Oh my gosh. At
0: this time, Ghislaine and the David matriarch matriarch, Guillemette, started living with Felipe and Brigitte, but they still remained under Thierry's control. Once most of the family was living in Oxford, Thierry told them that a treasure had been deposited into a bank account in Brussels and that the treasure was so large it couldn't fit in any room. This treasure, guys, was allegedly going to lead the David Dreams family to a secret that would save the world. What was the um, show? Save the cheerleader. Save the world. Uh, Hero or something. (laughs) (laughs) That was her whole mantra. From what, though? We don't exactly know. Theory told the family that Christine's maiden name actually meant transmission of metals, which was a sign that she held the key to the treasure. That's not a jump at all. Theory said Christine was the direct descendant of people who knew where this treasure was. It had been hidden by the Knights Templar as a fund to help the French aristocrats when they found themselves in trouble. According to Theory, Christine was the chosen one, and she was the only one who knew the code to the bank account which held the treasure. Everyone in this family, including Christine, believed this. They believed that the code was somewhere in her psyche. Oh my gosh, what? Yeah, I know. And it's interesting that he picked her to do this. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. he must've been like, either there's a weakness in her, something like to pull her back. You know, everything he did was so thought out, so well-planned. So there's a reason he picked her to be the key to this whole thing. Right. So unfortunately, when Christine gets to Brussels, she couldn't remember the bank account number and she didn't even understand why she couldn't remember. She felt like she should have. And so she returns with no treasure. Siri becomes angry with her and actually berates her in front of the family and tells her that she was going to be subjected to cruel and unusual punishments. The rest of the family sees this and they told him to stop. Just kidding. They actually were joining in with these, you know, yelling at her and saying, we know you know the number. You have to tell us. Why won't you tell us? Which all of this just blows my mind. But like, man, it just speaks to his control over them. Right. And so they even tried to force her to write the number on a piece of paper, but obviously no matter how hard she tried, she couldn't come up with a number because there was no number. And so Theory ordered the family to keep Christine awake at all times by pinching her earlobes and she would sit on a stool with both hands folded in front of her. Of course, this doesn't work because there is no number. So Theory tells Christine that she's no longer allowed to use the restroom she was actually forced to urinate in front of her family when she wasn't able to hold it anymore, and Amari was made to clean up after her. So one day, Christine is just tired of it all, and I'm sure tired since she's not sleeping, and she just makes up a bunch of random numbers and claims it's the account number. So Theory lets her leave the room she was in and go about her daily
1: life as usual. This is just, me, I just don't get it, because obviously he knows there's no number, so like just right. the fact that, like, so he knows that she's just making up random, but still he's like, okay, you're good now. Let's go. Like, it's just such a mind game. Like, it, it's very disturbing, like, to, right. to see, like, the things that he did to this family. Yeah. In January of 2008, the issue of the bank account number came up again, and the family and Theory tried to get Christine to tell them the number once again. She was forced to go back to Brussels, but had no idea what she was even doing there. She just went around from bank to bank, giving each one the fake number that she came up with the year before, and every time, she was told there's no bank number, you know, with that account number. So when she had tried all of the banks in Brussels, she once again went back to Oxford, penniless. She was again subject to torture, including only getting one meal a day, not having access to a toilet or a bath, and she was drugged and beaten. Theory would often go into the room yelling and being threatening and telling Christine that she was never going to see her kids again, and he would also hit her and threaten her with a gun. This time around, Theory managed to convince the other family members to participate in the physical violence against Christine. He had them so fired up that they were actually mad at Christine for refusing to provide what they thought was the key to the treasure. (sighs) Yeah, Around this same time, things were really falling apart for the David Reins family in every other way. The Chateau was at risk of being seized, and only one family member still had any money and assets, and that was Felipe. He, of course, was the only one that didn't go to Oxford. He was still living, you know, back, you know, near where the Chateau was. Since Felipe had been through a divorce and a court had decided how much he had to pay his ex-wife, he wasn't able to give all of his money or really that much of it to theory. The whole family had actually taken loans from Felipe and either didn't or couldn't pay him back. And in January of 2008, Felipe told the family that he was going to force Charles Henry to sell the chateau at public auction. He was really fed up with this and he wanted his money. The family came up with a counter plan, which was that Charles Henry would authorize his daughter to sell the chateau to a holding company with the condition that after five years they would have the option to buy it back. This whole ordeal ended up causing a lot of drama within the family. The details of exactly what went down are not known, but shortly after the Chateau debacle, police were called to Felipe's home to investigate a domestic disturbance. As you'll remember, Ghislaine and the matriarch Guillemet were living there as well, and they ended up leaving overnight and joining the others in Oxford. Strangely, Felipe ended up spending the next two weeks in a mental hospital. In the fall of, yeah, I don't, I just, I just can't, <laughs> I can't imagine what happened there. Right. Um, yeah. In the fall of 2008, the Chateau was sold to a holding company and it's not known what Guillaume did with the proceeds, but the sale of the manor created a huge rift in the David Dreams family. And we're going to get back into the rest of the story after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors.
0: I could fall down a flight of stairs, break every bone in my body, and my kids would still ask me while being wheeled out of my home by an ambulance what we're having for dinner. Thanks to HelloFresh, planning dinner is one less thing I have to worry about.
1: I love all the variety HelloFresh offers. They have a huge range of flavors, cuisines, and ingredients, so you'll never get bored thanks to their 50 weekly recipes. Impress your family and yourself by trying new foods or try fun takes on classics, like one of my favorites in the past few weeks, creamy Parmesan chicken spaghetti. I'm so used to the basic noodles, sauce, ground beef, I was wondering how my family would like it. But it immediately became a huge favorite in our house.
0: HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit, and for good reason. They make it so easy to create delicious meals with their easy-to-follow recipes that are a cinch to make with steps and pictures to guide you along the way. Honestly, the recipe cards with pictures make it so easy, anyone in the family can follow along. It's literally foolproof, even if the only other thing your husband cooks is a grilled cheese sandwich, and that is definitely too specific not to be a true story.
1: Go to HelloFresh.com slash Moms14 and use code Moms14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash Moms14 and use code Moms14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. If you are newly engaged, congrats. It's such a special time in your life and one you want to remember forever. What you don't want to remember is all the planning chaos that can happen if you plan your wedding without Zola. Zola is there to make your wedding magical without actually needing black magic to get it all done. Zola makes things easier and less stressful by providing you with everything couples need all in one place, including wedding vendors, save the dates and invitations, as well as free websites, registry, and more.
0: Planning your wedding is a lot, like a lot, a lot. And back when I planned mine, it was me, a notebook, 7,000 open internet tabs, and a prayer. But with Zola, you can literally plan your entire wedding from your couch online in one tab or on Zola's five-star app. The amount of murder podcasts you can listen to while planning your wedding is really infinite. And if you're planning a virtual wedding, you can even stream your wedding on Zola for free. Making all those planning decisions is difficult, but I would have loved to use all of Zola's tools, which are completely free to use, by the way. Plus, you can have free guest addressing and free shipping and returns every day. It's easy to see why over one million couples are already obsessed
1: with Zola. If you're planning your wedding, here's my tip. Start with Zola. Go to Zola.com slash moms today and use promo code SAVE50 for 50% off your save the dates. Zola is the one place to start for your wedding day. That's Zola.com slash moms code SAVE50.
0: Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Don't wait. Sign up for Dash Pass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. Dash Pass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience,
1: and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with Dash Pass. Zero dollar delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for Dash Pass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to zero dollar delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply.
0: And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about just the literally the most chaotic story I think we've ever talked about. There's so much going on with this family, uh, with this man who's controlling them, and uh, We were talking a little about Christine and this bank account and this fake number and how she was being tortured. So that's kind of where we're starting the rest of the story. So in the spring of 2009, Christine, as I just mentioned, was working at a cheese shop, but she really stuck out like a sore thumb. Her boss, a man by the name of Robert, could tell by her language and mannerisms that she was from high society, but he couldn't figure out why she was working at a cheese shop. After getting to know her a bit, Robert figured out that Christine had once been wealthy, but for some reason had fallen on hard times. So one day in March, Robert just blatantly asked Christine, hey, what happened to your money? Christine kind of mumbled something about her son, but then gave this vague explanation about trouble in her family and her son not speaking to her. So Robert kept pushing and eventually Christine caved in and told him everything, including the stuff about the bank account and the treasure and the torture. She tells Robert that she feels guilty for not being able to remember this number, and he told her point blank, "quote You don't remember because there isn't any memory. That's all made up." End quote. Robert then told Christine that she should call her son, but she was really afraid her phone was bugged because, of course, Theory tells her this. So she tells Robert that Theory is this very powerful man. To which Robert replied, "quote Nonsense. He's just a little creep." End quote. I, I love like that. this, Robert. Yeah, though. me too. Yeah. So Christine called Guillaume and Robert listened as he really said terrible things to Christine, such as that she was an old bore and a nightmare and he told her, you know, mind your own business and leave him alone. So Robert grabs the phone and lays into him for talking to his mom like that and demanded to know what he'd done with her money. Robert told him, you know, I'm gonna call the police. And later that night, Robert decided to look up old newspaper stories about how the David Reens family had become recluses. He thought it was so odd that he decided that he was going to help persuade Christine to get out of Oxford. Christine arranged for her friend to meet her in London and take her back to France. And when she arrived there, she immediately met up with Daniel Piketin who took her to
1: the police to tell her story. And what a story she had for them. <laughs> yeah. So after hearing all that had gone on over the last several years, French police finally decided that they were going to arrest theory. But since he wasn't in France, an international arrest warrant had to be issued. Britain, however, refused to honor the warrant for technical reasons, so France had to wait until Thierry traveled out of Britain to be able to arrest him. During this time, back in Oxford, the David Reines family was crumbling more and more. Charles Henry filed for divorce from Christine since she had gone back to France, and he also filed a lawsuit against Guillaume to reclaim the proceeds from the sale of the Chateau. Ghislaine and Francois also filed statements claiming damages from Guillaume. Finally, on October 1st, 2009, Theory was arrested in Zurich, Switzerland. He was charged with kidnapping, premeditated violence, psychological subjection, fraud, and abuse of the vulnerable. It's estimated that in the 10-year period between 1999 to 2009, Theory robbed the family of around 5.8 million U.S. dollars. (gasps) Yes, only about 274,000 of those dollars was recovered by the end of 2012. Most of the money is suspected to be in offshore accounts. After Thierry's arrest, police tried to find the people who helped him pull this off, and they were focusing largely on the president of the bogus Blue Light Foundation, a man named Jacques Gonzalez. Jacques seemed to really only exist as a name on envelopes, but the police finally did track the real person down about six months later in Paris, and they charged him with fraud and abusive weakness. When he was arrested, authorities found around $107,000 in U.S. cash in a trunk, and they learned that he'd been living a similar life of luxury as Theory had on the David Dreen's time. In November and December of 2009, Daniel Pickerton had an idea for exit counseling to try and break the family from Theory's spell. He had two different sessions held for this purpose. In one, a team of hostage experts, including a psychoanalyst and a criminologist, made their first trip to Oxford to try to deprogram the family. Guillaume was the only one who even allowed the team to approach him, and it wasn't for another month that the rest of the family was able to be deprogrammed. Once the family was back in their right senses, they joined Christine in her lawsuit against theory. Charles Henry dropped his suit against his son and reconciled with his wife, Christine, and Ghislaine moved back in with her husband, Jean, and later remarried him. The matriarch of the family, Guillemette, died in 2010 at the age of 97.
0: In late September 2012, Thierry and Jacques went to trial. Jean told reporters that he hoped the trial would be a warning to others about mental manipulation. During the trial, Theory acted ridiculously and irrationally, which made it really hard for the people to understand how an entire family could have ever been manipulated by him. Which to me just plays more into what a manipulator this guy is, because he knows if I'm acting crazy, people are gonna think right. no way these people would have ever believed him. If he acted, you know, calm and put together, then it's like, well, I could see, you know, how you could be manipulated by him. So prosecutors really were at a loss how to even explain exactly how Theory managed to convince the David Dreams to give up everything. They said, quote, the affair is extraordinary for its time span and for the atypical form of the manipulation that was practiced, end quote. They theorized that Theory and Jacques involved themselves with the family, gained mental dominance over them, and then defrauded them out of millions. According to prosecutors, it was Jacques who was the real mastermind, but preliminary psychological tests proved that Theory wasn't exactly coerced into anything. He was extremely intelligent and gifted and had this astonishing memory. As for the defense, they went with the case that Theory was not responsible for any of it and that Jacques was the ringleader and the one who stole all the money. They said Theory was no guru himself, it was really all this power game. They also pointed out that no one in the David Reans family was ill and that they all had this level of self-awareness, and they mocked the idea that one man could manipulate 11 people like this, and they suggested that theory was, quote-unquote, slightly deranged. Jacques' defense was that while he did receive money, he had no idea that it was obtained fraudulently. Very convenient.
1: Yeah. So Theory testified at the trial, and he made himself just look absolutely unhinged when he introduced himself as a descendant of the Habsburgs and claimed that he had been held hostage by the Freemasons. He also said that he jumped from an airplane at the age of 12 and claimed that he knew the former French president. He said that he was protecting the David who were a, quote, gang of resentful, greedy country nobles, end quote. I can't tell if he loves them or hates them. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So the people in the courtroom obviously laughed at him. Theory's own father even showed up to court to testify as well and said he wasn't exactly on his son's side. He got up on the stand and set the record straight about a number of things, including lies that Theory had said about his parents. He pretty much just testified that his own son was a liar. On November 13th, the jury found Theory guilty. The court said Theory created a state of submission among his victims, encouraging group paranoia and mental destabilization. Theory was sentenced to just eight years in prison, but an appeals court would later increase the sentence to 10 years. When Theory heard his sentence, he laughed and said, quote, It had only just begun. We will expose your responsibility in front of the European Court of Human Rights. I don't know what that even means. Okay. No, maybe so, that's what, what it means. It doesn't yeah, make any sense. Yeah. Christine told the media that eight years was a very small price to pay for what he had done to her family and children, and they just wanted to try and rebuild in the wake of the trial. Jacques was also found guilty in the scheme and sentenced to just four years for his part.
0: Wow. So, before we wrap up this story, we have some more information to make it a little easier to understand how exactly theory conned this entire David Rehn's family. One of France's leading psychiatrists, Dr. Daniel Zaguri, said that theory followed the classic playbook of a master manipulator. Number one, he identified and preyed on each family member's particular weakness. Number two, he cultivated a paranoiac siege mentality. Number three, he had an answer for literally everything. Number four, he dismantled strong bonds to better enslave each of them. And lastly, number five, he caused each member of the family to doubt themselves and their personal lives, such as their spouse's fidelity. Dr. Zaguri said, quote, However improbable the fabrication, if the guru or savior says it, it must be true, end quote. According to Daniel Piketin, who took on the task of representing the family, Theory was quite an unusual guru, to say the least. He used complex brainwashing techniques and played them against each other, from the 16-year-old daughter to the 80-year-old grandmother. Daniel said to the Sydney Morning Herald, quote, theory touched their subconscious and drove the entire family to the threshold of insanity. He is to mental manipulation what da Vinci was to painting, end quote. Police said that theory gradually created and reinforced this sense of terror within the family. And when they became fearful enough, he was able to get them to comply with whatever he said. Think all the way back to him, like, flooding the office and breaking into their cars. Like, all this stuff is terrifying. And if it's all happening to you, why wouldn't you believe something bigger is going on? So even those within the family had explanations for how they fell victim to this con, Jean said that theory was like a brain burglar, which I think is such a good word, um, who opened up their heads, took out their brains, and put in a new one. Christine said that the fact that 11 of the family members were victims made it harder to see through the lies instead of easier, because anytime someone would question anything theory did, there's always several family members there to justify whatever it was. Ghislaine said the family always kept the details of their personal conversations with theory to themselves... So it was easy for him to pit them against each other. Diane said, quote, Psychosis is a glass that fills every day, drop by drop. In the beginning, it was the Freemasons. At the end, it was everybody who walked their dog. Theory succeeded in putting a psychological pistol to our heads, end quote.
1: Wow. In 2013, a few years after the whole ordeal ended, Christine and Charles Henry spoke to the media. They said the family was now financially ruined and absolutely destitute, which is so hard to imagine from what they came from. Right. They were now living in social housing in South France with their three children. Charles Henry says that not only did theory steal 10 years of their lives, but he also destroyed everything in the process. As of August 2013, the family was just trying their best to rebuild. Charles Henry started practicing as a doctor again. Diane was studying chemistry. Guillaume started his own insurance business, and Amari also finished a business degree. Christine looks back on this time with sadness about losing precious belongings that are far more important to her than the chateau or any fine jewelry. She said that in the move to Oxford, she had packed up poems and notes that were written to her by her late parents and Mother's Day cards and trinkets from her children, and she had no idea what happened to that stuff or what theory did with it all. Christine also said in this interview that she understands why people think this story is absolutely nuts and that she would have a hard time believing it herself, but it really happened and it's true and they were all just horribly manipulated by this man. She said, quote, I heard someone on the radio talking about us and saying we were cultured, educated, intelligent, and this should have armed us against Tilly, but it didn't. We were simply not armed to deal with someone who lied on such an extraordinary scale. Maybe we were naive, but we were not used to another human being lying to us, tricking us. We did not expect it. Theory Tilly was a bad person, a predator, a vampire, and we were like puppets, unable to stop him. He was very clever. It was almost as if we were hypnotized. Christine and the family wrote a book about their experience. The French title translates to, we weren't armed in English. The objective of the book is to tell the truth about what happened. The family also wants to warn others that, quote, extraordinary things can happen to an ordinary family, end quote.
0: Okay, I want to see if there's an English version of that because I want to read that.
1: Yes. What a crazy, crazy story. And like, honestly, I do just feel so bad for them because I imagine like whenever you are able to look back and see what happened to you, like that has to just be the worst feeling in the world.
0: Oh, for sure. The interesting thing to me, I I don't remember if it was was Christine or Ghislaine who said that you'd think it'd be easier if, you know, for that many people that it it wouldn't happen. But the fact that, like, if it's one against 10, so if you're saying this doesn't sound right and 10 people in your family are like, you're being crazy, this is, you know. You're going to believe it. I mean, think if you've ever like had some crazy, even like a medical thing, right? You go to the doctor and they're like, mm, "I don't think this is what it is, whatever." Um but then you're you eventually think, maybe I'm not feeling this way. Maybe I, like right? it's insane. It's a crazy feeling. It makes you it's definition gaslighting, but for all of them to just be in secret and having these, you know, conversations with him and trusting him and jean to see it the whole time and him to not even be able to get through to his wife to be like something's not right here this story just blows my mind and the fact that it was only like 20 years ago yeah he was able to do this for so long like they had access to the internet at some point before he made them get rid of all their calendars and computers and whatever right but they there are articles being written about them and they're still like no like we believe what he tells us it's just it's mind-blowing and it. it it's, you, you'd like to think that could never happen to me, but right. you see how it can happen to you. Yeah. I, yeah I'm like definitely. a big believer that it could pretty much happen to anyone. This is, this is wow. 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 Oh wow. Yeah. I
1: think so. Well, mental manipulation, you know, there are tactics that are very effective at doing that right. and getting people to do whatever you want and to be able to control them and take control of their mind and the way they think. And yeah, that's, to me, that is scary. You know, one of the more scary things in the world is thinking about people who would use, tactics like that um, to their own advantage to like to right. harm others psychologically it's it is very it's very fascinating and also very terrifying.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: very so, interesting yeah. story though definitely a very interesting story. Okay, Melissa, are we ready to turn the page and move on to the last thing before we go? We are. Okay, so in the past, um, whenever we have had stories that have come from other countries, we've done a little fun thing at the end where we will talk about some fun sayings or phrases from that country and compare them to things that we say here in the United States. So we're going to do that from France. We have some French phrases. We're not going to say them in French. No, Um, absolutely not. (laughs) Not going to do that to Um, anyone. We're just going to say what they translate to, and then we'll try and guess um, what they mean. Okay. Do you want to start? Yes, I can start. Okay. The first one that I have is uh, it translates to it gives me a beautiful leg. It gives me a beautiful leg. It gives me a beautiful leg. Why would you say it gives me a beautiful leg?
0: If you got a brand new
1: razor, (laughs) (laughs) shave your legs with. I don't know. Yeah. So it actually means that you couldn't care less or that like whatever it is is not going to do you any good. So the thing that I read, it said it said that English equivalent I thought this was funny because no one ever says either of the – no one says this in English. The English equivalent is a fat lot of good that will do me. What? <laughs> so basically, um, you couldn't care less. Like, it gives me a beautiful leg. Basically, it's pointless or like it's not going to do me any good. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, that makes sense. That translation, not the English one, whatever the heck lot that lot was. A lot of good that will do me. I know. I was like, well, Never. maybe – Yeah. I, I don't say that. No.
0: <laughs> Um, Mandy, I'm going to say mine. Mine is, my first one is, it doesn't break three legs of a duck. I don't know. What if I say it with a country accent? It don't break three legs of a duck. It doesn't
1: work? Um,
0: no. Um, it's, <laughs> it's nothing to write home about.
1: Oh, hey, that makes sense. Or it's yeah. like, wait, or it, never mind. I don't know what I was going to say. But
0: it doesn't break three legs of a, like, what, what happened that right. they were like?
1: Oh, and a duck doesn't even have three. Uh, this
0: is okay. Let's keep going. Keep going.
1: Okay. So if somebody were to say, let's not drown the fish, what would that mean?
0: Okay. Hold on. You can't drown a fish. So like, we can't do that. Let's not do that.
1: Um, kind of, sort of. I wish that's what it meant because that would make more sense. So the English equivalent is change the topic or confuse the issue. Let's not drown the fish, change the topic. Um, Kind of like, or, but see, to me, I would, to me, I would have guessed that it would be more like beating a dead horse, like drown the fish would be like beating a dead horse, but that's not what it is. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, that's exactly what it would be. Yeah. So that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It means change the topic or confuse the issue.
0: Oh, well, beating a dead horse is changing the topic, right? Like you, let's just move on from well, no, this kind no. of?
1: No, well, beating a dead horse is when you refuse to change Oh, the refuse topic. to move on. Yeah, 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 you're right.
0: <laughs> okay, wow. What is going on with us? Okay, so my next one is to be in beautiful sheets. <laughs> T- taking a vacation. No, that would make more sense. This one is to be in a right mess or be up the creek without a paddle to be in beautiful sheets.
1: What? Why does it sound like a fun thing?
0: I know. It sounds like luxury. It sounds like you're staying in an actual chateau before Siri got involved. Up
1: the creek without a paddle is not a fun thing. (laughs) The exact
0: opposite. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. So um, to be in beautiful sheets, I don't know. I'm going to be a big X on that one. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know about that.
1: All right, All right, here's one that I do like. Don't push granny into the nettles. Into the nettles? Uh-huh. Oh, poor granny. I know. It's, don't throw mama to a train. Don't
0: make me crazy? Nope. It's Where did don't, that come from? Like? <laughs> don't push your luck. <laughs> don't push granny. To- okay, I don't, mean.
1: Don't push granny into the nettles.
0: Yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, okay. Mandy, I will give you... Twenty dollars if you can get this one right. Oh, I would give you more, but I—the off chance that you somehow know this <laughs> from Reddit or something—I can't risk that. Okay, to have the another word for butt that starts with an A. To have the blank surrounded by noodles. <laughs> <laughs> to have the blank be surrounded by noodles. Yeah. I have and then you are going to no have to idea. visualize this. Yeah.
1: Um, it means to be very lucky. In what way would that make you very lucky? That does not make know. any sense.
0: It's okay. So the two things I can think is to have your butt surrounded by noodles or to have a donkey surrounded by noodles. Both of those sound <laughs> either way very unlucky and maybe would send you to the hospital. I don't understand. Yeah, I
1: don't understand it. Okay, neither. But I get to keep my twenty bucks, so I'm happy. Yeah, there you go. All right. So my final one is: What does it mean if you say it's the end of the beans? It's the end of the beans, end of the
0: day, end of the thing,
1: you're done. Yeah, it just means game over. Nothing more can be done. Um. Aww. so it's the end of the beans for it's us. The end of the beans this week. This yes, week. <laughs> yes. nothing more can be done. We have done it all on this week's yeah. episode. Real quick before we go, okay,
0: if you listen to our Patreon episode this month, we did a video and an audio you know that I'm taking a lot of melatonin to sleep. Well, I cannot find this next thing. I know it happened. I know I responded, but I can't find proof of it anywhere. I've looked through our emails, Instagram, Facebook, cannot find this. But someone out there, I think, or this happened in a melatonin dream, wrote about telling her dad, Noel, happy birthday in Australia and she lives here. And Noel, if you are real and it's your birthday, happy birthday. And your daughter's very sweet. But I don't have her name and can't find any record that I spoke to her. So.
1: Happy birthday, Noel, who may or may not be a real person. <laughs> Isn't that the worst? I spent 20 minutes looking through it. And I remember I was like, hey, how
0: do I pronounce his name? And she wrote like rhymes with bowl. So then I'm like looking up Noel, bowl, Australia, like in all of our stuff. Can't find it at all. So oh, either happy goodness. melatonin dream, Noel, or happy real birth- birthday, Noel. But
1: happy birthday either way. Sorry. For sure. Sorry to the daughter. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. That was it for this week. Uh, We will be back next week. Same time, same place. New story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast.
0: Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.